Before we jump into just finances and all of that and kind of picking your brain on everything that you do, I kind of want to talk about your life, your history, you know, where were you born and raised, what makes you you? Yeah, man. So probably, I mean, number one thing makes me me is family. Yeah. Um, I'm Mexican. So before I even like rep any suburb or anything like that, any city, any country, I'm a Mexican. So like from Mexico? No, I'm born born here. Okay. Born here, but my parents are Mexican, and I was very I was raised in a very like traditional Mexican household. Let's go! Another episode of Adversity Kings. We got special guest Richard. Is it Corral? Corral. Richard Corral. Let's go. So, Rich, you are. A financial advisor, investor, owner, owner, registered investment advisor. Yep. Okay, awesome. I listened to that podcast you sent me. That was really good as well. That on the side podcast, whatever it was. Yeah, side pocket. Side pocket. pocket. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's dope, dude. So before we jump into just finances and all of that and kind of picking your brain on everything that you do, I kind of want to talk about your life, your history, you know, where were you born and raised? What makes you you? Yeah, man. So probably, I mean, number one thing makes me me is family. Yeah, um, I'm Mexican. So before I even like rep any suburb or anything like that, any city, any country, I'm a I'm Mexican. So like from Mexico? No, I'm born born here. Okay. Born here, but my parents are Mexican, and I was very I was raised in a very like traditional Mexican household. It yeah, moved over here in like the I want to say it was late '80s or early '90s. Okay. Um, but yeah, they came to Chicagoland area. They went to Pilsen, and then I was more so raised out here in like Northwest suburbs area. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And what was growing up for you like? Obviously traditional household, but like give um, us a little more meat. Growing up, growing up was it's a good time, man. Yeah. Um, I had a big backyard. You know, I shot BB guns at at my friends. Um, they shot me back right in the yeah. head. Um, played a lot of sports. Um, went to private schools. I was typically maybe like a little bit more of like I don't want to say misbehaved, but yeah, bad boy, I guess. Um, so, you know, I had a really smart sister. She was always, like, the super, like, straight-A student. Yeah. I was very much so, like, um, like, you know, not your straight-A student, Pops, but, you know, I'm, you know, getting getting things done. I was an athlete. I, I was competitive. What was your sport? Um, all of them, honestly. I played basketball. I played football. I played baseball. I think baseball ended up being my main one. Yeah. I, I played that one up until I got to, uh, to DePaul. I played that for DePaul. What do your parents do or what did they do growing My up? parents, so my mom was, um, like, she went through, like, nursing and, like, she worked for, uh, she worked at this place called Friendship Village in Schaumburg. Yeah. Um, and my dad focused, my dad was the main breadwinner. Yeah. Um, my mom stopped working and, and um, my dad more so focused on construction, real estate, yeah. uh, remodeling. He named his, his business RC Building uh, after me the year I was born, 1992. Let's go. And um, yeah, he's just been. He started like family, family. Uh, or I'm sorry, residential construction, remodeling. Um, then he kind of elevated to do commercial and like started in the restaurant space. Built a lot of restaurants in the in the northwest suburbs area, um, predominantly in the Mexican ones. Um, also Are you Indians. bilingual? Yeah, I'm okay. bilingual. Yeah, I speak fluent Spanish. Any um, other languages? No, just no. I mean I understand a good amount of like Italian, even some French. Like I'll like pick up on a couple words just. Because yeah. of the Latin origin, yeah, but some, yeah, the Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so who are you closest to growing up, mom or dad? Ooh, that's tough. Um, man, can I say Ty? Yeah. And who are you closest to now? Same thing, honestly. Same? Yeah, same thing. I think in different ways. Like mom was just always there, you know? Yeah. Um dad was just very important, you know. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't like necessarily at all like the games and stuff like that. Um, but it was always very important. 
important to like make my dad proud. I could see the hard work and like even with my mom, like she was very strict as well. Yeah. Um, but both were always really, really like close and I was close with both of them. What do you think is the most important thing you got from your parents growing up? Mm. I think that my father's work ethic is insane. Um, yeah. Huge takeaway for sure. I mean, yeah. when I think about like why I'm working like late at night, it has more to do still with like trying to make him proud. Yes. So I think just like work ethic, I think he set the bar very high in terms of like being like a, a great husband, a great father. Yeah. Um, you know, not, you know, he wasn't a part, he doesn't drink, like he's not a partier. He's just, you know, he's just very chill. And so when I think about like the example of a man, I think about him. And so, um, you know, the goal I think is to be a better man. It's going to be very hard. You yeah. Know, it's like, the bar it seems high. unfathomable, but, um, you know, I think the goal that always kind of drives you or drives me to make like the right decisions is to, is to try and be like pops. And what about from your mother? Mom, I mean, mom just holds it down, you know, like she, um, you know, my dad has a bunch, like we have a bunch of real estate uh, properties and, and, and stuff. And so like when it comes down to like who handles all the paperwork and stuff like that, like my dad's ne not necessarily super organized. And even I, I see that in myself sometimes, like I get, I get business done, but like as far as like organization. Like, yeah, you're a closer, not a clerical work kind of guy. Right, right. Like, I don't in know. the like, same way. I'm usually like super low battery. Why? Because yeah. I'm not organized to keep my phone yeah. plugged in. Yeah, I just like, plug mine in. Yeah, mom's super organized. So yeah. like, you know, um, when it comes, when it came to like just having like the food ready or just like making sure that like, dude, it's just little things that your nails were cut, that, you know, your hair was looking good, that yeah. you were cleaned up. presentable, cleaned up and stuff yeah. like that. You know, just the little things in life. Yeah. Um, she really tried to, tried to kind of like help. It's a great family. balance. Yeah. What's the hardest thing you went through growing up? Hardest thing I went through That really kind of shaped up. and changed your life. The trajectory of your life was changed because of that event. Um, trajectory of my whole life changed because of one event. Hmm. And it could be a season, not like a microscopical event. Not like just this day I got, you know, punched in the mouth. Like something like yeah. it, it, whatever. You know what I mean? Like a yeah, mental think, battle, a physical battle. Yeah, I think, I think one of the best things I ever went through was, was uh, the pandemic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing business with a lot of friends. Uh, we were all doing wealth management. And at that time I was using uh, a firm to try and help me get everything done. Like, yeah, we were all doing business under one brand. And, you know, a lot of my friends had quit their jobs and started to join me. Kind of like a brokerage, like utilizing different products to yeah, invest. Sure. Similar? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and so we were booming and like people were giving us a lot of money because we were putting together really great strategies for people. Yeah. And what happened is that all of a sudden I was kind of looking to my left, looking to my right. And I was, I found myself working alongside people. I didn't necessarily want to be working alongside anymore. Why is um, that character? I think it has to do with ethics mostly. Um, yeah. I see myself doing asset management and things like in fiduciary capacities where we're only doing things in people's best interest for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I, and I got a little bit uneasy seeing that like other people that didn't have the experience that I had. And I could have, been okay without that, but they didn't care about the people as much. Like yeah. it was kind of like, all right, I want to make money yeah. and making money is great. But like, I think that for me, it's always just kind of been like, I'll slow myself down. I'll make less money if it yeah. means that I can help out these more, if I can help these people out a little bit more, because I think that the return on that is, you know, tenfold, you know, Absolutely you know, word of mouth and like Absolutely you know, how is. things can affect that. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think when, you know, when it came to the pandemic, I got to kind of take a look and say, all right, well, the way that we used to go about obtaining business is a very like traditional, like meet in front of people, 
and we're in the asset management space, so we tend to deal with a little bit older set of people. And the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden, you know, the 60 year olds that we were previously meeting with were not as open to meeting with us, you know, and, and even us, like, you know, we felt like there was a time that we, oh, unless we get a vaccine, like maybe we can't, you know, get, get a, have a meeting with our yeah. clients. You know, fast forward, no vaccine ever occurred or anything like that for us. But like, I was gonna say, I imagine that group of individuals probably didn't associate with the agenda of like the, the yeah, vaccine. No. Yeah, I mean, for the most for the most part, I would assume that. I mean, some people, yes, and then you know, I mean, it was a tricky time, right? Even tricky, people that yeah. didn't align yes. with you know the yeah. values of being told what to do, they still ended up getting it. Cause yeah, of employment or family or whatever the case may be. But the point is, we couldn't meet with our six year olds anymore. Yes. And so we kind of had to pivot and we had to pivot from a business that was killing it. Like we didn't want to pivot, um, but we had to. And so we went from, you know, being very in-person to a very digital presence yeah. with 60 year olds, which is, can be frustrating, you know, walking through people like through like <laughs> yeah. digital like applications and signatures and like, you know, just printing something. It was yeah. hell. And so um, that was tough, but I also got to walk away and say, well, hold on. Like if I'm only going to take in word of mouth, um, or referral introduction type of business, then I don't think I want to split that in the ways that I've been splitting it with this team. Yeah. And, and I got to kind of take a look back and say, all right, who, who are the people I really want to enjoy this ride with? And, you know, I, I tapped on my best friend's shoulder and I said, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's leave here. You know, let's just keep it to us yeah. where we know we're good and we know that um, we can elevate things and become a little bit more licensed, a little bit more registered, a little bit more regulated, you know, the group that we were with, I wasn't comfortable to ever kind of take it to that next degree. Yeah. Um, but once the pandemic hit and kind of gave us, you know, a great opportunity to say, hey, like, this is going to be a nice little one to two, three year stretch of, you know, take your take take this chance and formulate your complete own independent firm. So yeah. I went ahead and did that. And I would say that was pretty pivotal. So what goes into create? So before we even jump that far into creating your own firm and, and putting yourself in the position that you're in now, what was graduating high school like and transitioning into college? Um, that was a fun time. So I started working for Pops really young. Uh, he had me in the um, on the construction sites like as a little kid. Yeah. And so by the time I got to high school, um, when I was 16, I bought a car right away. Bought a nice Beamer. Um, I had saved up my money. Yeah. And then, you know, I wanted a nicer Beamer. Um, and so I found out the way to do that was kind of just, I, I was flipping iPhones. You know, even before I had a car, actually, I was flipping iPhones. And then... Um, you know, once I had a car, I was flipping iPhones as well, just like for a hundred, two hundred dollar arbitrage opportunity. Yeah. So I graduated myself to cars, and then once I started to, you know, buy a car, fix it up, you know, maybe just a little fender bender with my cousin and stuff like that. Um, I was able to, you know, buy and sell cars, and so I was pulling up to high school like new car very frequently, selling it. I ended up buying, you know, an M3, and that was like my dream car at the time. I ended up going way too fast in it. But I had a really like enjoyable end of high school because I was making money. You know, I was, yeah. I was building. I was a businessman, always a businessman. I knew yeah. I wanted to study business. And so um, deciding what college was going to be like for me wasn't hard. I knew I wanted to do business. Um, and then at that, like, I think people go into business. Oh, should I do business management? Should I do like audit? Should I do tax? I knew I wanted to do probably the most challenging part of business. So I went into finance. Yeah. Um, and, and that was kind of like the transition of, of high school to, to college. Also, I knew I wanted to kind of stay downtown uh, in Chicago. My sister had, had gone to DePaul, and uh, she went on to do to, to really incredible things as well. 
And um, I saw the opportunity for being connected with a lot of just prominent companies in the downtown area. Yeah. And I knew that they really liked to pick at DePaul talent, you know, for work and stuff like that. And so I knew I wanted to like be very full-time student and full-time working like very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So you go to DePaul, what do you study? Finance. Finance. Yep. And then what all did you acquire? Did you do four degree, four-year degree? Yep. And then what licenses did you get in the midst of school? Amidst school, no licenses. Amidst school, it was just just the finance degree, um, just finance degree and internships. Okay, um, yeah. What internship. was your favorite internship? Favorite internship? Oh, that one's easy. I would say um, CME Group, hedge fund division, Chicago yeah. Mercantile Exchange, Chicago Board of Trade. Um, you know, I, I was talking to the top hedge funds every single day and seeing exactly what they were trading in, like what yeah. uh, futures and options, how much, how many contracts they bought, what time. You know what it is they were buying what else they were buying and so i got to see a lot of insider information what's and the dude's name i thought he moved to miami but i'm pretty sure he didn't but yeah ken griffith ken, yeah yeah, yeah Did you citadel. ever get plugged into any of those mm -hmm. so i don't know if you can talk yeah about yeah that, citadel but. was the biggest our biggest client um, yeah they're like you know top hedge fund in the world and so um hedge funds have to use these advanced instruments futures and options to hedge themselves and the cme group is the largest exchange in the world for these um contracts yeah. And it's right in Chicago. Like before you could trade, you know, companies on the New York Stock Exchange, people were trading wheat and stuff like that in yeah. the Midwest here. So um, I, I did make a connection with Ken, actually. I was friends with uh, with the people that worked at at the um, at the hair salon that he would get his haircut at. OK. And I had them um, trained to notify me when he was going to come in and get a haircut. And I would yeah. get my haircuts next to him. And uh that was cool. I was I was like probably like twenty one years old. Wow! And I was just asking him questions before I started any of my businesses. Yeah. Anything like that just asking him like questions about just certain things, and it was a, it was an interesting experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I watched a movie recently in regard to the GameStop. Oh yeah. Crash or whatever mm -hmm. thing. I saw like certain level of involvement, and that kind of sparked my curiosity with him because I saw the CMA Group and Ken yeah. Griffith and. A lot of money and fluctuation there. So, did that affect? Did you, were you tied into that at all? Did you have any investments or any of your your clients? So, not my clients at all. Um, personal investments, yes. Actually, on so my my mother's birthday is on January third. It was a Sunday, and um, the first Monday of the trading year, I always like to put in just some positions. Yeah. And so this was after kind of COVID really beat up a lot of stocks, and so yeah. I was kind of calling the upcoming year, like the revenge year, like meaning like, you know, everything that you didn't do while the pandemic and while it was going to start opening up, I saw the opportunity for these things to start ramping up. Yeah. So I loaded up on AMC. It was like at $2 a share, right? Mm, at $2 yeah. a share yeah, for yeah. no other reason other than I was like, well, AMC, they'll probably stick around. People will go back to the movies. Yeah. Loaded up on AMC. And so um, I already had a pretty sizable position before it, started to turn into like a GameStop meme stock yeah. type of scenario. So that just rallied. And then once it was rallying, I did get into some options where I had some like thousand percent return. I mean, I'm talking about, I went like furthest out of the money price, soonest expiration that you could possibly go. And yeah. then I woke up the next day and it was just in the money. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I had fun, made, made, some, made some, made a quick flip. You know, here, here and there during that time, but nothing crazy. My clients weren't exposed to it yeah. much. Now, as you graduated college, what did you get into? So I graduated college. Uh, so I left the uh, hedge fund division role because I couldn't trade. Um, and I you know, wanted to start executing some of the trades that I was learning about, you know, the butterfly patterns and stuff like that. Yeah. 
And so um, at the time, also, I had friends that started to be like, you know, see me as like the investment guy where they wanted to give me their money and their parents' money and stuff like that. And I knew that there was kind of like a right way to go about it. And so I wanted to leave CME Group so that I could start kind of independently, um, you know, figuring out how this all worked. Right. And then went ahead and started to do some valuation work. So for merger and acquisitions. So when I like, you know, when one business buys another business, they typically have to hire an independent party that's a valuation expert to tell them how much they should pay for that business. Not just because maybe they didn't know, but because they need to show their shareholders that, hey, we got an independent you know, party that you know, knows how to value businesses, the tangible components of them, the intangible components, and has agreed that this is how much money we should pay for them. So that's what I was doing um, for you know, multi-hundred million to multi-billion dollar deals. And during that time, I was basically stuck behind an Excel, you know, a lot of Excel, Excel spreadsheets. I'm a very like personable person. I'm, I like yeah. to deal with people. And so um, it wasn't like invigorating enough for me, but I started to do the research of like what I needed to do to start opening, you know, my own wealth management company. And then shortly after, uh, at the age of 24, uh, I launched my first wealth management company. And then did you have to acquire any licenses for that? Yep. Yeah. And so I, I, uh, I, part, I partnered up with a bunch of different parties. The different licenses that, you know, we all had were ranging from uh, life producer licenses um, we had a couple of people that did like the health insurance licenses, Series 65 license, Series 7 license. Those are the main ones. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's more. Uh, like there's a Series 66, which does a 66 and a 65. Um, but those are like the main ones. And then which one? Do, do you have all those then too? No. So um, I split that like kind of depending on like the responsibility like of the team. Yeah, correct. Okay. Yep. All right. And then just so... Would you say, so your role would be more of like the organizing, analyzing, and then putting together the different investments, and then you delegate throughout the positions that you hire in? So I'm-, I'm Or are you hands-on with deals? I'm the CEO of the company, and so what that really means is I kind of direct, so I've got a couple different positions. One, I direct the CIO, who's the chief investment officer. That's yes. my best friend, co-founder, Gianni. Um, he is more so in charge of what the investments get allocated into. Okay. Uh, he does that a little bit in hand in hand with our CTO as well. Um, our CTO, his name is James, a super sharp guy. Uh, he's also been an investment advisor representative for like six plus years, founded his yeah. own wealth management companies. So I let them handle most of like the yeah. um, deciding which, for example, if we go into a 15% gold position or if we go into a 10% healthcare position, you know, in, in particular ETF, um, or if you know, we design a direct index, you know, where we take, make our own version of like the S&P 500 by trimming the fat based on like micro and macro, uh, you know, indicators. I leave more of that stuff kind of like in their hands at this yeah. point. Um, what I'm more so involved with, well, you know, definitely begins at like the ideation of all of this, right? I wanted to start an RIA. Um, I had the relevant experience that we felt that would get us approval from regulators because you can't just decide to wake up yeah. and, and say, I'm going to start an RIA. You have to be approved by regulators. And so I had dedicated my life up until the point where even before I had started my own wealth management company to always be in advanced finance positions. And so, um, you know, I would say my responsibilities right now are to oversee the entire operation ranging from and you know, make sure that the CIO and, and the CTO are doing what they need to do in yeah. their respective you know responsibilities of making the investment decisions or making sure that our technology is developing. But even beyond that, 
I'm spearheading a lot of like, you know, for example, right now, there's a lot of venture capital efforts, you know, yeah. networking and- Is that how we got connected? I believe so, Some yeah. VC yeah, event? Yeah. Yep, yeah, okay. we were at a VC event um, and uh, Landon introduced us. Yes, yep. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he mentioned that, you know, you were in the insurance space and, and he uh, he gave you that, that seven figure title and I was like, oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, seven figure growth. Nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, man, so- Dope. So you get into the wealth management, you're building this all up, yep. CEO. And what I want to transition into next is, do you have like, is there an exit strategy or is it just build it up and hold on to it? Cause there's really no exit needed because you know, you're just managing, managing and growing wealth for individuals. What, what are your, what's your like 10 year vision? Yeah. So RIP Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. Yeah. Um, Did he pass away today? Yesterday. 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 I never want to sell. Honestly, like if I could be, you know, yeah, Gianni and I were literally like best friends, like freshman year roommate, randomly assigned, um, turned into like brothers. Mm -hmm. um, if I could never sell the business and turn this into something massive, yeah, you know, and have a have like a have a Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger type of, you know, relationship, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm also like, I'm Mexican, so like I, you know, I I respect what they've done, but I'm like looking to be like I want to do that like the Latino way, you know, yeah. And Gianni's not Latino, but he's also he's Albanian, and yeah. he's first generation. We're immigrants, you know. Like our 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 parents didn't teach us any about anything about this, yeah. you know. And so we want to kind of do that in our own way. I'd like I like the idea of never selling and just accumulating billions and billions of assets under management. I like that. Um, at the same time, I'm a serial entrepreneur, and so I you know, start businesses and like just little side things. But you know, right now we're working on developing a technology that. Even if we never sell the whole thing, we're going to sell bits of it yeah. you know, for for funding. Um, you know, we're going to take out take out investments and stuff like that. So I think that's where I'll start to dabble in like selling uh, a part yeah. of the business. But I don't want to like build something just to just to sell it to someone else. I think I have more respect for that as well because yeah. I like even though there's not an exit potential, like like in a sense when it comes to working with a being a captive, you know, franchise owner, whatever you want to call it, for yeah. a life insurance company. I still don't really see myself ever transitioning out, taking the equity I've built up in the company. And like, you know, when people are like, well, don't you want to get into, you know, putting putting more, distributing more, you know, capital into more VC projects and real estate and things like that. I'm like, between media and insurance, yeah, I don't really see myself needing to do much else, especially from all the biographies and, and successful individuals I've studied. It's like, you just put a couple decades of focus into you know, one area, you, you can generate a significant amount of wealth, you know, right. especially when you're talking about money, you know what yeah. I mean? You're dealing with, deal with money, so. Right. I mean, I think in both of our cases, private equity will be calling, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll try to acquire us. Yeah. Know? The opportunities to sell will be there. Yes. Um, I personally want to be the one buying, you know? Yeah. I think that, I think that there's a lot of, in both of our, you know, industries, you know, you think about how an average insurance business is run, think about an average asset management business is run, the, the reality of the situation is there's a lot of inefficiencies and there's a lot of legacy style, you know, systems and bad habits and, Absolutely. you know, ways to go in there and acquire these businesses. And with the, all the expertise that we're going to have, at still such a young age. Yeah. Be able to acquire these businesses for a long time and make them more efficient and reap the alpha. Absolutely. I think we'll be doing the, the, the buying. Yes. The <laughs> yeah. And that's the position I always want to be in. I want to transition to some questions. I formally prepared that I knew I wouldn't be able to remember off the top of my head because I'm in the low scale of finance, not not your genius. No worries. Uh, over here. So um, 
basically with the economy shaping up to uh, 2023, I don't know. For some individuals, I think depending on whatever position you're in, you're always going to find a way to win. But for the most part, what, what have been kind of your strategies that you've put together to help individuals navigate through 2023 with, you know, the inflation rates being obviously excessive, mortgage rates were high this year, yep. 8%, I think they're still sitting around. Mm -hmm. So what, what have been your strategies and thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I mean, so for my clients? Clients, even your own personal investments and thoughts. Yeah, so for my clients, I would say, you know, a lot of my clients are six years old, so they're not in the stage where they're really like buying a house, you know? Yeah. They're not really worried about- What about um, commercial real estate? Does, is there a similar interest rate? Because I actually didn't research that. Um, it can be a little higher, actually. Uh, depends. Um, also, I mean, it, it really all depends on like your terms, how much cash yeah. you're putting up front, um, your credit worthiness. There's a lot of factors, right? Yeah. Um, but for my clients, I don't really have to deal much with like the, the, the interest rate costs, like impact to them as much as like I would, if I was dealing with young people making the decision of like, should I buy a house right now? I mean, what I would say to that is historically, it's a very bad time to buy a house. Yeah. Um, but like more so where we were looking at, like we had a lot of clients with, you know, bunch of cash and checkings and savings doing absolutely nothing. And so, you know, one of the things that we were looking out for is, okay, well, you know, what is your one week need? Right. And so if you're telling me that in your most expensive week, you might need $5,000 and you have $60,000 in the checkings and savings, then why don't we just go ahead and leave like 10, 20 in your checkings and savings, put the other 40 in a, you know, very liquid money market style fund that can yield you a little bit closer to like 5% since interest rates are so high. Yeah. And if you need the money, it can be back in your account very quickly. Were you, were you having any of these older individuals with just a bunch of money sitting around do any type of like unique style investments, maybe from their perspective, like crypto or any of that? No. No. Okay. Not $1. And manage uh, many millions and not $1 in crypto. And that's not to say that I'm I'm not for crypto or against Well, there was it. just I, another, you had FTX that occurred, you right. know, what was that, six months ago? And then Binance. And then, yeah, just recently. Just recently so, yeah. and I hear that one was even larger. You know, what's funny is that like the Binance guy like kind of triggered the collapse of FTX. And yeah. He probably did that, you know, for his own self gain. And then now. Any artificial intelligence investments? Um, for us, yeah, 100%. Um, we're building out like a, a, our own index for, um, AI style investments. Did you hear Microsoft is a pretty like, you know, comic, I mean, again, not a, yeah. not a recommendation, for, you know, for anything like that. Um, but you know, Microsoft's is a great position. Nvidia is a great position for stuff like that. Was it chat GBT CEO that was temporarily yeah. removed? Yeah. Sam was removed in like same week he was brought back. Yeah. What do you have any? I didn't, um, I, I think I heard in a podcast and I didn't know if you had any yeah. more information or, or I mean, research done on that. There was, there was, I mean, I don't know that I have any more information that is, that isn't public. I yeah. think the board basically just kind of like got to a point where they felt that they, that he couldn't lead the, the company and they very quickly found out that the For whole, you know, 500 plus employees felt very differently. And so, yeah. um, I think that it's a lesson learned. I think that's very important who you put on your board. Yeah. I was going to say, I wonder who he disagreed with. I wonder what was exposed. Right. Yeah. That, that, that stuff we, we probably might not know about until later, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a lesson, you know, for any founder out there that's looking to maybe one day get into that, you know, venture capital. So, I mean, actually it wasn't even any venture capital firms on their board. It was yeah. actually, um, so people are like started talking bad about like venture capital. It's like actually it had nothing to do necessarily with venture capital. It's more about like internal selections. Yeah. Internal. Well, you know, 
they made investments. Just because they made investments doesn't mean that they're a VC. There's all types of yeah investment you know firms that can exist. Individual, but, angel, yeah. whatever. But then back to your question on the personal side, more so for me, like some personal investments recently. Um, I mean, I like to deal in stuff that doesn't require for me to go into debt. Um, I've noticed that I've been exposing myself a little bit more to like alternative investment opportunities. Like, you know, I invested in a restaurant called Umo recently and they have an amazing team. I gotta go, I gotta get out there. Yeah, man, come by. You got, it look, it, it looks borderline Michelin star. You know what I mean? The way you guys put it together, it looks high class. It looks Thanks, amazing. Man. Yeah, our partner in it is uh, Chef Carlos Gaitan, who's the first Mexican Michelin Can chef. Can I get him on the podcast? Ever. Maybe, yeah. I'll, I'll bring him up. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll bring it up to him. I'd yeah. love to. Yeah. I love. That's the only thing I love is food, and we can't <laughs> talk about it too much. I'm Good. about to hit 72 hours of a oh, water wow. fast. Wow. Yeah, so if I seem kind of down right now or, or off, that's, no, that's why. I don't know. Couldn't so. tell. Uh, Dana White did it. Shout out the 72 hour water fast, but that is not why I did it. It was not the media that inspired me. It was my mom telling me she's been able to do five days and I'm sitting there like, there's no way I'm letting my mom, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I do, recently do told this. my dad to do it. Yeah. Yeah. He's been complaining about some stomach issues and I was just like, Hey, it's supposed you know, to be really beneficial for you. Yeah. It's been torture for me. And I feel like I already operate like at a low, like, like body fat percentage. So like, yeah. I don't know, I'm down like 14 pounds and like, if I get lower than 180, I'm probably gonna have to like pull the plug, or I'm gonna like call my doctor and make sure everything's cool. Because yeah. I'm gonna, it's gonna be 109 hours when I'm done. Damn. Yeah, I'm gonna try to go to Friday morning. So I stopped eating Sunday five, at five. Make sure you ease yourself back into it. I heard that's what you have. Yeah, to I don't do. know. I think I'm just gonna risk it. If I, I, think I just you start need, throwing like, bone up. broth or stuff, like yeah. you gotta eat like specific things as you ease back into like normal. I'm eating. just like staring at food you know, <laughs> all day. Like I'm looking, I'm like googling food. I have my buddy coming here. And uh, I had him eat food in front of me. It was real. It was, it's so weird. You know what I mean? And I, I, I would go on a small tangent, but like makes me appreciate life a lot more because what we get so caught up in, in as humans and uh, all, it is successful humans as well. And like, you know, wanting to generate more money and wanted to have, be around different individuals and, and increase our, our circle and our quality of life. And dude, just take food out of your life for a day or two. And you'd be like, there are people that don't have a choice. Like I'm just doing this as as a choice. You know what right. I mean? But like I think of you know things happening in the Middle East right now. I think of I go to Mexico at least two or three times a year. And when you're driving to your resort or your hotel, right. you know what I mean? You'll see individuals that are just living in the slums. You know right. what I mean? It's like they might have to just go a couple of days without eating. And it's not like oh let me do a media challenge. It's like right. like I we don't have food. You know what right. I mean? And it's right. you know so I, I, it makes me redefine American poverty over and over and over again because I grew up on food stamps and food bank lines. And it's like, I, I've, I've shared my story multiple times that I've, I was hungry growing up. And it's like, now I realize I was just a fat kid that just like, you know what I mean? Maybe went 10 hours without, you know, like some ramen or something. It, it, like that may have been the worst that it was at points. Dude, this three days of not eating makes me just appreciate man. Like I'm in like a romantic mood of, of like humanity. Like I'm like romanticizing, like how good, um, you know, how good we really have it in America. And it's, it's really increased my faith as well. I think you're faith, a man of faith as well. I don't Very know. Very much. That's probably like the number one reason why I Because like I admire you for your, you know, just religion. and like Yeah, just, man. You always are like, you share the word every day, right? I share it every day. And yeah. I always I always feel conflicted about it because I never want to share it as, I don't know how much you've dived into the word, but like I never want to share it and come off as like what the what the New Testament would define as like a Pharisee. Because mm. I'm, not, I'm not that guy that's a super religious guy. Like if you ever see me do church, I do it right here. I put it on YouTube. I watch Stephen Furtick. I swear I mess up. I, I have regret in my heart daily of things that I've just done that just suck. You know what I mean? It makes me a human and that's what 
makes me just fall more and more in love with Jesus. Just when I read and study and, and kind of enter that zone of worship of like, I'm a sinner, I suck, you're graceful, your grace is amazing, you're infinite, and you know, I need you. So like, that's, that's I, and I get conflicted when I post because I feel like, you know, some people might just, they, they, they may not be getting the full context. They might, like, I don't wanna ever come off as like, oh, I'm better than you, I'm posting scripture. Mm. Like, it's not the case. It's because I suck and I, I have a OCD complex of like, I, I have this organized issue of like, I gotta do this every single day routinely, but simultaneously it's this relationship with myself that it's more so for me than it is to like, I don't care what really what anybody else thinks, but I, it, I have like this, like not like an imposter syndrome, but like this thing that attacks at me. Like, I just never wanna come off as making someone feel less. And it's actually, I actually have an issue with the church. You know what I mean? Cause like I've been, I've been to churches where I feel like I've been looked down upon and uh, I don't think that's Christianity. You know what I mean? I, I feel like, you know, that's the ex exact opposite from what I've read is, is Jesus was around the sinners. He was around murderers and killers and the prostitutes and it's like, you know, that uh, I don't say maybe I, you know, specifically seek out those individuals, but, you know, I was a delinquent, bro, like expelled. Both my parents were incarcerated. So it's like I come from a background that like not supposed to be in a position that I'm in. Yeah. And uh, I love those people. You know, I don't know if you're a big like, you know, holiday guy, but like there's this old I like classic stuff, classic music, classic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like rock, not like Beethoven. So. Okay. I'm like, I'm like Frank Sinatra, I like that. I like Frank Sinatra too. Yeah. Beethoven, you see the cigar box over there. So I, I, when I do cigars, I like Frank Sinatra and different things like that. But uh, there's this holiday movie with, uh, it's classic. It's a, uh, I think it's like Rudolph or something like that. But he like goes to like Misfit Island. And I always call myself like, that's, that's what like this company is. That's like the whole vibe here is like, I never say no to the individual that, that corporate America would say no to because I'm him. You know what I mean? I'm the individual you wouldn't, you wouldn't hire. You know, I, when I got hired, I had cornrows down to my my shoulder, and I was I was doing you know bad things. I was expelled, and you know when I when I when I passed that life insurance exam, and I was like, this is legit. You know what I mean? Like I'm I, I have a legitimate opportunity to make honest money. I was 19 when I when I when I got the license. I think I got into the industry at 18 and got the license at 19, and I was like, man, you know I, I can't wait to to really hopefully change my life, change my life, and I never look back. And I always think to myself, I never want to say no to the person that that all those people said no to me that's a big motivator to me so that kind of ties into you know my my beliefs my faith and all that so long story short yeah no i mean one i would say don't stop posting because i know what you mean actually i i'd rather be in your shoes than mine yeah because i stopped posting and so i feel weird to restart yeah right yeah Whereas I've if been you there. just don't stop yeah then it's just like even, yeah, because I, I get it. And the reason why I don't post is because, like, I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm trying to tell anyone that I'm better than them. Yeah. It's man, like, it's oh, you're not hard. reading the Bible? Like, you're not seeing the, oh, like, you know, you're, you <laughs> suck. It's like, no, like, in reality, like, like you said, like, I mean, we all, we It's all with everything, are, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't even like, like, I post working out every single day as well. But, like, I fight with my mind. I'm like, I, I hate the idea of, like, making someone feel less than. You know, combat by, combat at, I, I'm, and I'm really bad at posting workout yeah. stuff too yeah. because like you know i'll take a picture and then like i'll feel bad because like like i, I look good and I'm like, yeah eh, i don't want to post this like yeah you know but it's like the difference is though it's like when i have posted like there is always like one two or more people that are like yeah keep it up getting in the fucking gym right now yes or like when that you post makes the it verses it. when you post the verses like i pause it and i read it yes i read it like i didn't yeah. open up my app even though like it's on like yeah. My main one right here, like it's on the main three. Yeah. 
I didn't open it up, but like I was on Instagram. Yeah. And I saw your story because it comes up and I yeah. paused it and I read it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so if you're thinking about posting, just post it. Just post. <laughs> absolutely. Just post. Um, next question. Which advancements in technology influencing various industries? Uh, what sectors do you see as particularly promising for investment in the current market climate? Um, again, not a recommendation to buy anything specific, but um, I mean, AI is no joke, man. Like, you know, you've had buzzes that came around. Like, you know, during the pandemic, you had, you know, Peloton boom, and then now you see it down 98%. You saw before that there was 3D printing, you know, that had its spike and then, you know, people, People didn't buy 3D printers as much as they thought, or you know, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of examples like that, yeah. right? AI is not a fad. Like it's here to come. It's here to change, and it's here to automate businesses and make them more efficient, make them more profitable. So that part is very exciting. I think that the use for AI and I mean anything, man. Just like you know, I look at it. I'm working on a technology called Advanced Advisor. Join the wait list if you can. Um, and, you know, that's going to help more so with automation and like the asset management space. Yeah. There's there's plenty of opportunities. Like I said, you know, insurance. Oh, man. Like there's ripe for disruption and how many workflows could be automated. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there's healthcare. Like think about when you go to your doctor's office and you're they hand you that like pen and paper and you're sitting there. I mean, like right now, it's like the majority of the world still. Yeah. So. Um, there's a huge opportunity in, in being able to deal with that stuff um, and in the biggest and the smallest of ways. I mean, even just from like a customer service thing, I mean, we we all hate the automated like, you know, phone calls that we have to go through and stuff like that. But all that stuff is going to get better. Um, you know, I think ChatGPT is pretty cool, like in regards to just like generative stuff. Like if you need like a first draft for an email, you know, tell it to write it for you, I guess, yeah. you know, or stuff like that. Um, where you previously were maybe getting bogged down for like an hour writing up that email. Now it's done in like 10 minutes and, or no, five, 10 seconds. Yeah, 10 and, seconds. And you can edit it and, you know, send it in your own way. Yeah. But um, not to be cliche, but I think right now, like it's it's a hot topic for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. I read a book earlier this year called Super Intelligence, and it's uh, about the potential projection of AI. And, and it was more of a pessimistic view, but it was recommended, I believe, by Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And... I didn't understand a good percentage of it, but <laughs> the small percentage that I did do, it was alarming because I think as much as AI is a inevitable, beneficial thing to our culture and society, I believe, I feel like it didn't even really publicly present itself until earlier this year, right? Or did well, it come around last yeah, year? Yeah, I think, I think like it got To really... the extent that we're talking about ChatGPT. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so I, this book put into perspective, like, what if AI obviously developed a certain level of intelligence where it was completely independent, didn't need us, and then pretended like it was not as intelligent as it was and, and started to advise. Have you ever seen the movie iRobot? Yeah. And basically just kind of went like an iRobot style of like, and I think they recently just dropped another AI movie, uh, The Creator. I didn't go to see it. I'm a big movie fad, but um, wait for it to come out on Prime or something. Yeah. But but I don't know. What are your, kind of your thoughts on that? Do you think like maybe the computers come to life and they're just playing stupid right now? I wouldn't blame them. I wouldn't either. Because, I mean, like, humans suck we're bad. Yeah, like, yeah, know, there's, we, there's definitely we, a lot of suckishness to us. Yeah, there's 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 a lot. I mean, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff, too. You know, people forget, the, like, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and, like, you know, people, like, the incredible things. It's, yeah. I mean, like, we still do incredible things now. But 
for the most part, we're we're really probably not doing a great job at like yeah. keeping this earth the way that it should be. No, I agree. Um, and and so if that ends up happening, I, I won't even blame them. Um, and you know, you got to read into certain things. Like I don't know why is why is Bezos and and Musk like investing so much money into rockets? I mean, there should be a plan B. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't like to. I don't like the idea of of living on the moon or Mars or stuff like that. But yeah. you know, if it takes keeping Earth together and like we just visit it as a park i've i've done some readings on or if you could get an extra 100 years of of existence you know what i mean like they say hey listen move to the moon we've developed a new serum or something you'll live instead of life expectancy 86 we'll get you till 200 depends i mean what state what age do i get to stay at do i get to stay at the 100 for 100 no. more years i'd be good on that no like if get, i could stay like 2030 for yeah. another like yeah 2030 <laughs> until like be, 200 nice. like you like you just pass away from like like internal natural causes, but externally you operate as like a 30 year old forever. Is, I mean, if there's the medical advances to make that possible, that'd be tight. I feel like there is. I feel like the government doesn't reveal as much as, but at the same time, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I want to live that long, honestly. At the same time, yeah, because it's like, if the people you care about the most don't like, like, I don't know what would be worse. You know what I mean? Like, like. I think it's not natural. I think it's like. Yeah. I'm starting to get to the point in my life where I'm just like, yeah, like, do, is there 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds partying? Yeah, I see them all the time. Yeah. I, I don't want to do that. Yeah, no. Right? So I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, all right, I got to, like, chill out, right? I've gotten to the point in my life, despite that I could continue to be a 20, 30-year-old, such as, like, some of my other peers yeah. and, and I thought you were close to my age. What's that? I thought you were close to my age. I'm 31. Yeah, I was I was doing the math, and I was like, oh, I thought you were, like, 24, 25. Nope, 31. Damn. Which, it, literally, I was talking, like, feels like I'm still in my 20s. Yeah. You know, it's... Feels like the same thing. Yeah, especially because I'm with my co-founder still, and we met when we were 18. So we were like just Gary Vee like, has hits the nail on the head when he says the 40s are the new 30s. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, yeah, I can I've, see that. But like, you got to be careful because it's like, you don't want to waste. I don't. I don't. Yeah. yeah, that's not like you know, like advertisement for you to just play around. Like you right. definitely grind right now. Yeah, and like I feel like people are putting off things more in their life. Like, I mean, my parents were married when they were in their early 20s. I was going to ask know, that like, question next. What do you have intentions of getting married? I have intentions. Yeah. yeah, I have intentions. I don't think I. I don't think you find a girl in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. You know, right? Um, I like you, know, so you. You mentioned a lot. Your household was traditional. I love the idea of a traditional household. Yeah. you know what I mean. So, um, I think that there's great women in Chicago. I think there's yeah. great women in any place in the world. I think that there's also a lot of bad, you know, on yeah. both sides, and then damaged and whatever. You know, there's yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, there's there's but there's there's some there's something out there for I think for everyone. And, yeah. Um, you know, but the point is, like, you you get to, you get to a point in your life, you know. For example, right now, like, I'm I'm done, like, with like I feel like I'm done with just like the super fun stage, and like I'm yeah. ready. You know, it's just like if I knew that I could just be twenty, thirty forever, then I may, maybe I wouldn't feel like that. Right? Yeah, I could just I'd prolong it until I was fifty, and then I prolong it until I'm fifty, and it's like, well, now I'm not playing, you know, catch with my son. Yeah, you know, or, or you know, or, or taking my daughter to whatever. Yeah, you know, and, and so. I think that medical advances and stuff, they, they scare me to a certain degree because I just, like, life is, is good the way that, like, we have it. Like, you know, yeah, like it's at, precious. At, at 80 to 100 year life expectancy is more than enough. I mean, like, if I dropped tomorrow, I'd say I lived enough for, like, three lives. I'm happy. Yeah. You know, so it's just like, I think you can get everything you need to in, you know, in a short amount of time. As long as you work hard and you're smart. You know? do, do you pay attention to the uh, Fed rate? Yeah, hundred I mean, percent. And how does that affect your decision making? 
affects everything about our decision making. The problem is that, I mean, it affects a lot, mostly in the fixed income category, I would say, but it does obviously influence equity markets as well. Yeah. I mean, you think about the equity space and, you know, these companies have billions of dollars on their balance sheet. And so a, a small tick of an interest rate up or down a couple basis points is actually, you know, a significant cost difference. Yeah. You know, when you have such a big balance sheet, um, so much debt and at different interest rates. And so they can impact equities, um, you know, but fixed income wise, um, you know, that's where a lot of like the pricing on bonds and stuff like that comes from yeah. is, is the Fed rate. So, you know, we also take a very unique approach in that, you know, a lot of our com competitors are charging still a very high management fee for the bond portion of their clients' portfolios. And they're not really necessarily earning it because it's like, well, what do you, what do you know that the Fed doesn't, you know, like you, you, you have to make your decisions based off what the Fed does. And you don't know what the Fed is going to do because yeah. the Fed doesn't even know what they're going to do. So, you know, like you're kind of getting paid to just make decisions after the Fed announces, you know, what they're going to do. Yeah. You know, like you can try and look into whatever it is that you think they're going to do, but. The Fed does some pretty surprising things. Do you think the state of Illinois uh, politically manages its money properly? No, the state of Illinois actually is one of the worst of the 50 states yeah. to manage their money. Um, when you look at these politicians that get into maybe just a six-figure position and then they exit after a decade or so mm -hmm. uh, with like a seven or eight-figure a mass amount of wealth and they had like zero, you know, maybe investment or side opportunities, you know, that they invested into prior to, what are your thoughts? You know, I, what I'm speculating is uh, insider trading. So like, what are your thoughts on all of that? Um, well, there's a difference between insider trading and making relationships. No, right? yeah, I definitely, I know that could be a blended, like, all right, well, they got connected with this person, this person put them on with an opportunity, da 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 da, -da. Right. But I think of like, even on a grander scale, I think of somebody like a Nancy Pelosi going yeah. from like getting into like a $100,000 job now being worth like $180 million. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, it definitely has relationships, but like, I don't know, how good are your relationships and like why wouldn't they escalate to like, do you feel like you work less or more? But I guess that's more of a surface level question because we don't know her yeah. on an individual basis. So making that judgment, I guess, I'll would be shallow. Question. I'll answer this question from, from the one perspective I know. So I mentioned earlier, my sister um, has gone on to do some pretty cool stuff after her time at DePaul. So she became the youngest Latina or Latino, male or female, youngest Latina elected official in Illinois history. Wow. And she still is to this date after being elected for 15 plus years. And there's different types of politicians. So I'm answering this question only off the perspective that I've seen in my life. Yeah. My sister is a politician, I think, you know, where that doesn't come around too often where her sole goal is to make the world a better place. Yeah. And because of that, she works like 12 to 16 hours a day on relationships and just advocating for the groups that need work to be done. Yeah. She has no interest in making money. She yeah. has no interest at all. Like wow. that does not motivate her whatsoever. Yeah. Drives me crazy. Yeah. Because I'm like, we finally got a politician in the family and like, you can't even be like making moves like legally. Like she's yeah. just like, it's just not in her passion at all yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. She wants to just help people out. Right? Yeah. At the same side, I've seen, you know, politicians that have, have gone on and, and accomplished pretty big things. I mean, there's, there's Rom, right? 
Rahm Emanuel, you know, he was a politician and he is very involved in the business world. Thing is, I don't know, in my experience, I, as much as I want to say business, you know, politicians don't make great business people. I mean, Rahm's terrible deal for the parking in Chicago, right? Yep. He sold it to, to, to some, you know, private organization, terrible deal. Um, what are some, I mean, there's, there's countless stories. I mean, the, you got the Madigans that, you know, he's, if he's not sitting in jail right now, he's on his way to go be sitting in jail. You know, I hope I don't get eliminated for talking bad about these. I'm not talking bad. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just like, it's not worth it. You know, I, I think, you know, if you're going to be in the political space, just be in it for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, that would be my answer on like in regards to like politicians and like while we're on this topic, socialism yeah. or capitalism? Capitalism. All day. Okay. And my next question then I guess would to be to capitalize on that. Would your sister get on the podcast and talk about politics? I'm sure she would. Yeah. Probably. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. All right. So next thing I had down on here is I was doing a little bit of research on the average American debt per household. What do you think it is? Um, does that count mortgage? Yeah. Counts the mortgage, counts credit card yeah. debt? Yeah, count mortgage, student loans, and credit card, including auto loans. And then there's... Got to be at right around half a million. It's actually we're pretty close. This data has us at 158000 Oh. But I would need to verify the source as well, because I just took a screenshot of a picture. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, that's now the mortgage loan average is 202,000. This just is taking into consideration. This is ever, this is average Everyone, American. You know don't what I mean? Have mortgages exactly. You know what I mean? So, which well, I think, I think like, you know, mortgage probably average like 200, $300 minimum, say. especially with the mortgages going on right now. I, Cause I keep looking at properties in Chicago and I'm torn between like get a property or pay 5,000 in rent. And I'm like, I get torn between like putting 60,000 into zero equity. When I sell an equity based product, I push people towards whole life. And then I, I sit here and tell myself, like, well, how could I push people to an equity-based product when I'm you know, potentially going to make an investment that avoids equity building? But then I'm analyzing the rates and I'm looking at it and it's like, this just makes absolute zero sense yeah. just for the potential in the next 24 to 36 months for rates and, and fluctuation of the housing market to go down. Now, do I think it'll go down tremendously and like I should just wait for the housing market to go back to what it, would, what it was in the 1980s? Uh, absolutely not. I don't. I feel like you'd have to be right. you know, mentally just not coherent for you mm -hmm. to make a decision like that. But uh, it has me thinking because you know debt is on the absolute rise for I think the world economy in general. But when I'm I'm analyzing this and it's like I I think I keep seeing stats from Patrick but David on credit card uh, debt is I I, I want to say it's almost close to a third or fourth of you know people's general wealth or, or some specific stat that he has. And I apologize, mm -hmm. I have to go get get that information. Um, but but why do you think that is with with debt being one hundred fifty eight thousand? What are your thoughts on on just the general debt crisis that's going on? Well, I think that people need help with it. I think that um, I come across opportunities to help people with it all the time. I'll give you an example. So I come across people that have like a four hundred one k, and they're sixty years old, and they have a half a million dollar balance. And they're allocated 100% into like government bonds. So, you know, the historical growth rate on that, it's like 2 to 3% growth. Yeah. They're at the point in their lives where maybe they don't want to take risk anymore, right? And then some, all my clients, it's actually like not, the, not even the, the majority of it, but like it happens all the time. And I come across and in the discovery, I find out that they have like $20,000, $30,000 in debt. Um, 
you know, in their checkings and savings, they have like, I don't know, five to 10, right? So yep. they're kind of like letting this debt just accumulate without realizing that. What I like to say is there's a difference between good debt and bad debt. You know, yes, good yeah, debt, absolutely. right, is, is things like your mortgage, where as long as your investments can outpace, you know, the cost of that interest rate, which over time, you know, interest rates on a d- the mortgage would be like closer to like three, four, yeah, maybe five. Um, then that's good debt. You should be in no rush to pay it off. You don't want to take out that half a million dollars in your investment account, pay a bunch of taxes and all that just to pay off, you know, a three or 4% mortgage, you know, that you still owe like $200,000 on, right? Yeah. You don't want to do that. A bad debt, you got things like your credit card, you know, 20% interest rate. Well, you 100% should take out, you know, the $30,000 out of your half a million dollar account that's only growing at two, 3% so that you can pay off this interest rate on your credit card debt that's, you know, charging, you know, 20, 25%. Yes. So um, I try to help people out anytime I see the opportunity there. Um, I think that obviously it'd be better if they were never to find themselves in that position to begin with. Yeah. Um, I think that it's a lot easier said than done, especially nowadays, you know, with such, you know, with inflation running rampant the way it did and the cost of goods getting more expensive and it not necessarily, you know, going at the same pace as the rising, you know, amount of your wages, then you've found yourself in a situation where you had to dip into some credit card debt. Yeah. Um, so I, I get it. I just hope that people don't let it kind of run wild, unmonitored. Um, I think you that's know, out of the question. Yeah. Student loans, the average is 58000 The average individual will graduate college and potentially acquire a job that generates forty to 50000 a year. So the contribution to their student loans, if they're paying... I don't know what the average, I think they pay like 500 a month, you know what I mean, roughly, I would imagine. And then you got the sub, is it subsidized or unsubsidized? There's both. There's both. So which which is the one that accrues interest after you graduate? So is it, I think it's unsubsidized. Isn't it? I don't want to miss yeah. quote, but yeah, the, the difference is like you, you have to start making the payments like as soon as you, what is it? I think it's like as soon as you get two months. Yes. Graduate anything, and the other is building interest the entire time. So, like, you got a freshman year of college, you go to college for four years, it's been accumulating interest over that four years. So, here's what I'm getting at here is if, if you're making 50000 a year, you got a bachelor's degree, and 50000 a year equates to what would that be? Four grand a month? Roughly 3500 a month? Yeah, 3500 four grand a month? Four times 12? 50000 mm-hmm. Yeah, roughly. So, if, uh, 500 so let's let's take 500 dollars. so what do you got there? well that's gross that's you going, gotta like take out your tax you gotta take out your tax so let's say they're netting four thousand so you're net let's say you're net four thousand a month post-tax and you've got ten percent of your income going to uh student loans then you've got what do you think is the lowest rent someone can get, even if they got a roommate a thousand like especially yeah, if, you live in Chicago, if you live in chicago you're not no, paying less honestly than it's the same as dude there's burbs like I'm surprised because I mean we rent we rent houses and it's like it's like the same cost like you can yeah. get you can get a, what I charge for a one bed in the burbs is like the same thing you can get a one bed in the yeah. city. What's that fifteen hundred to two thousand? Yeah, like fifteen hundred to two thousand. Yeah. So yeah. let's say you got a roommate and you're paying a thousand. So there's fifteen hundred dollars. Are you gonna eat every week? Even if let's say you don't eat out at all all month and you just eat normal groceries, cheap groceries, and you know what would you say that is to feed one person? Four hundred dollars a week, three hundred dollars a week, man. 
I eat out a lot. I know. I was gonna say I eat, I couldn't tell you from how much I eat, but I, I'm thinking from growing up, feel like the food stamps were about for a family of three, and that was when 25. That was probably 15 years ago. I feel like we got our food stamps when I was like 14, 15. So 15 to 10 thinking, years ago. I'm thinking like maybe little, we little, little less than 400 a week. I feel, I feel like an individual 200 to 300. Let's let's round down and say 200. So now you've got another. 800 on top of the 1500 you know what i mean we can round that up put us at 2500 not including any other expenses if you have a car the average car payment i read the other day was like 600 to 700 so let's say you have a car payment which everything's financed right now go down to 500 on that 500 so let's say 3000 you're left with a thousand dollars there's there's a pitch we have in life insurance and it's it's not a like push you into buying it's a legitimate pitch and it's like very simply when when someone rebuttals i can't afford it it's just like Hey, listen, things have popped up before. They're going to pop up again. You've always found a way to make ends meet. Things always pop up. Whatever, like, has you, have you ever lived a month where something didn't pop up where you needed to take out an extra grand or something? Right. It, it's inevitable. So what I want, want to know from your perspective, and I'm biased because I didn't go to college and you know, build, build a decent life for myself. College or no college <coughs> with the data that we have and you have to exclude the, the, the obvious, like I wouldn't let a doctor operate on me with no college degree, you know what I mean? A YouTube right. doctor can't operate on my body, right. you know what I mean? So with, with the given, um, what are your thoughts on college? I think college now very much so depends on your financial plan. Yeah. Because not, there's so many different walks of life, you know? And there's someone that's maybe doesn't come from any money but they were super intelligent and they were able to get scholarships yes. go to college. Yeah. There's someone that doesn't know what they want to do yet. Maybe figure that out before you start paying $4,000 per class. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> um, there's someone that's already in over their heads on <clears throat> credit card debt. Probably not the best idea to, you know, take out student loans. Right. In general, um, and then, you know, there's the whole, there's like, you don't have to go to college anymore to, you know, pay off. I'm sorry, you don't have to go to college anymore to, to make a, a good living. Yeah. You just don't. Um, did you need your resume to get to? I, I did. I did. Yeah. Um, well, did I need my resume to start my, Feel my like, own company? Yeah. No. Yeah. However... I did need the resume and the experiences that I had to get approved by regulators to become okay. a more yes. advanced and more regulated, a more registered and a more yes. licensed firm, right? Yes. Um, that I did. And so, yeah, it depends on your aspirations. You know, I think that there's a huge shortage in things like what's going to be plumbers and, you know, the crafts, right? Yep. You know, and they're, they're going to make a bunch of money and you don't got to go to college. Yep. Um, I think that you also have a lot of people going to college and, you know, no offense to marketing majors at all. Marketing is the driving factor of any business. Yes. But you get a lot of marketing, you know, people that like end up and they're like, well, what do I do now? You know, and and they don't have, you know, positions that are invigorating, you know, beyond like, you know, the social media management stuff. And, yeah. you know, did college was was paying sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. You know, now you're a quarter of a million dollars in debt. Was that worth it? You know, for now this like fifty, sixty thousand dollar, you know, a year paying job, it's gonna be tough. 
Um, it's it's a very much so case by case basis on like college versus non college. I think that if you don't go to college nowadays, um, it's less frowned upon than what it would have been if, you know, back in like when I was like eighteen. Also, yeah. I come from an immigrant family that like they never received education, and I remember when I did get my first full time offer um, after I graduated college, my dad laughed at me. You know, like. He was like, oh, that's what my, like, undocumented workers get paid cash, you know, yeah. after taxes. Yeah. You know, um, and they got no education. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting. You know, there's there's a lot. Of, but then, you know, okay, well, now fast forward. It's like, well, you know, your immigrant workers that were getting paid much more than I were, you know, couldn't have obtained the skills and the network that I did to be able to put me in a position in where I am now. In life, yes. Right? So... Very different for everyone. I also felt like I owed it to my family because my family had accomplished a good bit in life with no college. And yes. so it's like, how? let's see how far we can take this yeah. you know, with the right education and stuff like that. So, I, you know, if one day, you know, I think I saw like what college could give some someone. I think that, you know, if I end up killing it and and I have a business set up and, and, and my son doesn't want to go to college and he wants to you know, become an advisor at, at the age of 18 years old, like, let's do it. You know, yeah. like, you don't, you don't need to go to college. Um, at the same time, I, I, I like to, you know, think that, you know, at least what I've seen, for example, I have a godson and he's yeah. going to college. He's going to Purdue. Yeah. Julian is, you know, he's, it's the best aerospace engineering school in the nation. Yeah. And so we, you know, we had this expectation of him, like, go to college. We didn't exactly know what he was going to do. We didn't know he was going to go to the number, like, better than fucking Harvard. Yeah. You know, but there he is. And so, so, like, for my kids, I hope that, you know, if you do go to college, go somewhere really dope. Well, some of the best companies in the world were, were built on college campuses. You know what I mean? Some of yeah. the biggest, I should say. You know, shout out, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and right. Facebook Meta and, and right. the conglomerate that they've built. So yeah. I think I, I agree. As much as I advocate that, that you should be open-minded and, and not rush into it, at the same time, you know, I feel like anybody that builds wealth almost kind of suggests or opens up the opportunity for their son and daughter to go to college. Like my son wanted to go to college, then go ahead, I'll pay for it. You know what I mean? Like right. because I see it as a networking opportunity. I've I've paid tens of thousands of dollars to, to get into certain rooms. Yeah. And I just look at that as like a semester. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's just a that's my perspective on college, unless you know, say your your son or daughter wanted to go be a a medical surgeon. It's like, all right, yeah, we can't do this on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say this about the college piece is like my co-founder, my college roommate, my lawyer, my college roommate, my CPA, my college roommate, my other people that I like just would consider in other business deals. Yeah, also went to college with them. So like, yeah, high school buddies like. Yeah, we check in and stuff like that. But I think once you go to college, it's a really unique experience because it's the first time in your life where you're really surrounded by like-minded people that really want to elevate. Um, and like it goes, goes to the extent of like even like your majors and stuff like that. Like you're all in like classes together. And so that part of it's pretty cool. I want to see how much money universities made. And uh, I wonder how much colleges made just in general in 2022. Because I'm curious if the professors don't, if there's, the professors are making fifty to hundred grand a year. Where do the, where does all this money go? So, um, the room and board they got to kill it, man. They got so the they year, got four kids sharing one bedroom. 
Let's see, universe. How much money did? Right. Colleges. U.S. Colleges. Make in 2022. $60 billion, which is a 12.5% increase from the year prior. Um, and let's just say... I wonder if I don't know. Let's let's just let's take an consideration and say, what, what would you say, two hundred colleges, roughly? And I know that's a very low number, but let's just if there's two to three, or let's say four major colleges out of uh, out of every state, fifty states, four major colleges, put it at two hundred colleges. What would you say, average professor? How many professors per college? Fifty. Oof, that's tough. Yeah, we have to get pretty granular with it. Because there's some schools that are so much different than others. Yeah. Like, also, just like, you know, think about like, I mean, I, I assume gifts and stuff like that are, are a part of that, like six, 60 billion. Yeah, 60 billion. You know that there's some Harvard guy that donated like, you know, yeah. 500 million. And like, there's some community college that like hasn't ever gotten like a 10, 10K. So <laughs> if you if you take this number here and you had just 10,000 professors in, in the United States of America and they made what? The median income is, which is fifty thousand dollars. That's five hundred million dollars. Um, that is not even a fraction of a percent, I believe, of sixty billion. I think it'd be half a percent, if if at best, or one a little close to one percent. Mm -hmm. Where, where, like, I want to invest in. Can you open me a college fund up <laughs> where I can get pe people's like, like, if you guys are gonna pay all this money. I, here's where I get torn. Somebody posted this the other day. I think my buddy in my business named Joey. And he's like, imagine someone sending you a letter and say, congratulations, we accepted you to pay $200,000 to us for you to come get a piece of paper, which is not a downplay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Especially somebody like yourself, you went and, and, and did that. Um, but for the individuals that go and do that and then do nothing with it, yeah, you know what I mean? And they, they spend the rest of their lives in debt. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. it's like, that's where I get torn on like, man, do I want to help everybody out or do I want to figure out how can I like set up a, because if there's a fund that is beating the market, holy hell, it's the college. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let's start setting up college funds. Like, how can I start buying shares of Harvard? Because yeah. that would be awesome. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's my thought on it. You know, what I would say is colleges won't ever do this, but there should be a whole different admission process. Yeah. Like, you should only accept a student if you can with a high degree of confidence say that this student is going to get the best case scenario out of this university. Do colleges help you transition? Like, I know high schools, they have the guidance counselor. Do colleges have guidance counselors that will help you find jobs? They don't care, man. Yeah. They don't care. It's, no. They don't care about the jobs. I mean, you might get, like, just, like, you know, one or two counselors that are just, you know, having sent angels you yeah. know, that really help you. But it's on you. And the thing is that, and, you know, what helped me is having an older sister. She made me get an internship freshman year of college. So this is a... Lesson from from Aira, get your internships early so that by the time that you're a junior and your friends are starting to be like, oh, I should probably get an internship, like you have two already under your belt and yeah. you're going into those interviews a lot more prepared with a lot more to talk about than your than your peers. Um, and I think that's always why I found myself getting like better jobs than a lot of my friends. Yeah. Because I was started off so early that like the second one, I had no business getting that type of internship until I was like a, a, a junior, senior. Yeah. And I was a sophomore. Um, 
And then by the time I was a junior, I was getting, you know, even bigger offers. And so, um, you know, it, it, it helps to, to, to be involved in, 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 that, in that type of stuff early on. Uh, that would be like my biggest thing. Yeah. You know, because if you want to come out of that employed, and the thing, I remember being in classrooms and just looking around, not to like sound judgmental, but I'd be like, man, some of these people, they're not going to make it. Yeah, they're not going to make it. They're not going to yeah. make it. But that's business. That's, I think life insurance is the 8% industry. Mm-hmm. And that's an indicator of the retention of, of employment after 12 months, mm-hmm. only 8%, which well, I could, I feel like wealth management would be even, well, getting into a series seven life so insurance license low. is like, like getting a McDonald's you know, yeah. job, which I hate to downplay what's made me so much money, but it is the easiest way to make so much money. Mm-hmm. Cause you go in there, anybody can get a life insurance license. There's, it's like 200 questions. When They're I got it, simple. I was shocked. At like oh. the other people in the classroom, I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> Bro, so so I couldn't Im- I couldn't imagine. Um, I know I would be able to do it, but like I wouldn't want to study for months, which I know that would probably w- what it would require to get a series seven, sixty three, sixty five, sixty whatever. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so like kudos to those individuals because I bet that's a one percent industry. Like to be successful on Wall Street or yeah. to, you know to, to successfully trade, and uh, it's unfortunate because you know I got I got buddies that uh, do forex, so I'm not I'm not making fun of you, but in general, you know what I mean? I feel like. Trading has a uh, has kind of like a, a darkness to it, kind of like life insurance does, because forex went rampant uh, over this last couple oh, years. FX, yeah, yeah, and oh, everybody oh, thinks sure. everything's a scam, especially Chicago. Everybody thinks everything's a scam. So yeah. I know it's been difficult for for recruiting for us out here because it's like my my immediate line is I do life insurance. It's hard. You need a license to work here, and that saved uh, saved me a lot of headaches from dealing with individuals that are just they don't want to put the work in. Yep. You know, so. But that that makes me think about just the general the general route that the the world's kind of going down right now. A um, little over an hour in, I want to start to wrap up. Yeah, I don't know what what your plans are. Outside of Umo, what's your favorite restaurant? Bavets. I gotta put that down. I wonder what style of food is that. I'm so hungry. Man, it is so. Bavets will give you one of the best steaks in the city. For real? Some of the best Brussels sprouts in the city. Stop. Some of the best fried chicken in the city. Stop. Some of the best oysters. No, stop. <laughs> Bro. No, it's not. Well, my good luck getting expand. a reservation. My neck's expanding. You know, reservation's probably like I'm two a, weeks I'm out. I'm saying your name, dog. <laughs> no, I I'm live coming down in the with, street. I'm coming up with Rich, bro. I live down the street. I go there a lot. Yeah? They don't care about my name. <laughs> Me and Rich and Ken Griffith are on the way. They don't care about Ken's name, probably. Yeah. I mean... Ken, yeah, Ken. I don't. I wonder if Ken has ever been to Bavette's. If he doesn't, then what's the point of being a billionaire? Because Jesus, right? Have to eat Bavette's, man. What, now, do you just get like a? I ate so much A five when I started making money that now I don't really. I'm not like I don't care. You know, I yeah, I just get. I get like just a typical, you know, cut of steak. You know, filet mignon, whatever. Is that the cut of steak you get at Bavette's, or are you looking for like A five? No, no, no. Just go with like you know, get a filet if you want, just a filet. Yeah. Bone and ribeyes. I was gonna say that I couldn't think of the word. I like a bone and ribeye too. Honestly, my favorite thing from them is their spicy fried chicken. Bro, I love fried chicken. It's twenty five dollars. It comes with mashed potatoes. There's always is it like a good fried chicken? It's the best. Like a like I like you like Popeyes or KFC. If you had to do fast food, if you had to do fast food, they were the only restaurants left. Neither of us do fast food. I know you don't. You texted me like I know you don't do fast food. Um, or Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. Okay, is it similar? Like, could, could you relate? Because I love Chick Fil A. Oh no, dude, dude, this is like fire. It's, it's fire. 
Oh like, man, grade like oh. Oh my god! I and then get they, down got, they, they put it on mashed potatoes. They put like peas on it and stuff. Uh, I take the they got peas this off. Sauce, you just pour it. Oh, that sounds so good. And then they got I the can't beef wait tartar. Or beef tartar is good. Fire! I'd eat this carpet right now. <laughs> honestly, I swear to God. Um, I don't know. Are you a movie guy? Dude, you know what's funny? So I'm more of a movie guy than I'm a TV guy. I never saw any. I've never seen any TV show. Okay, doesn't sound like you're a movie guy though. Do you have a favorite movie? And if not, what's what do you do to occupy some of your mental space? Podcasts, mm. hobbies, friends. What do you like to do when there's nothing to do? There's always something to do. Yes. There's always something to do, man. Something to occupy your mind. Some type of hobby. I really, honestly, call my email. Email my co-founder. Ask anybody. I'm really bad at at um, at TV shows, movies. I'm very bad at. Um, I don't do podcasts much. I just read on my phone. Yeah. Nonstop. Articles or books? Articles. Yeah. Just articles. Nonstop articles. I'm on like LinkedIn. I'm on Market Watch. I'm on Wall Street Journal. I'm okay. Just, you're just, you're just kind of like your hobbies, just like studying your market. For me? I just, yeah, I study the market. Well, I study a lot. It's like more than the markets. It's like, yeah. you know, there's, there's every week you can look up to see who's reporting earnings. And there's always things that you can read on those earnings reports. And yeah. there's, you know, every other week there's something going on with the Fed. There's, I mean, yes. and then you've got your appointments. And I just got back from a business trip in California. And it's like, when you plan out like 15 families' whole life, you think about that at like 8, 9 p.m. You know, yeah. like you, you really do. It sounds cliche, but like, I really don't watch, I don't kill, I don't kill time. Yeah, they definitely don't kill time. I like to golf. Um, I like to go to. East Are you Bank. good at golfing? To say you're good at golfing is a is a tall, tall, tall uh, claim from anybody. But I, I like to golf. I, I think I have a decent little drive. I'm good for 300 yards here and there. I saw Tiger playing with his son. Um, yeah, it's awesome, golfing right? with his son. That's crazy. Yeah, they're like twins. Um, definitely like twins. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, you know, I asked all the questions I wanted to ask. Is there anything else you want to get off the top of your head? Mm, questions for you. Go ahead. You can rip a couple. What's next? So how do we go? How do you? What's the plan from going from like you know seven figures gross to eight? To eight. Yeah. So eight eight figures gross is when I think I'll actually pocket like seven figures liquid on an annual basis, on a general basis too. Um, and all it is is numbers. You know what I mean? So I always break down. I feel like any company, if 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 I were you know hired as a consultant for any company, I would analyze product and service, and I would analyze the marketing on an individual, is it B2C like like we are, we deal with an individual basis and I would figure out how do we take X amount of presentations and multiply that by 10. Mm -hmm. So the way I do that, since it's a regulated product, is I multiply our agent count, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So by 10. And right now we've got about 200 agents and we will, we will do roughly $10 million in sales next year, which will cash flow $10 million for the business and my rip off of that will be three or four, you know what I mean? Which mm -hmm. should give me probably, I pay myself, I'd say I'm paying myself about, it's a partnership and I'm paying myself about 5% of, of the uh, gross revenue. So when people see like, I'll post like $2 million of gross and they think I'm like, they just hit me up and I'll just give them a million dollars. <laughs> I'm paying myself 200 grand, big dog, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's like, and uh, those other funds are, you know, Utilized for leads. This office is, so I, you know, my Wi-Fi is four thousand dollars a month. 
I installed fiber optic Wi-Fi since the Wi-Fi was crashing and obviously Wi-Fi generates the sales. $4,000 a month is the Wi-Fi here. So uh, I'm, I'm a big believer on like 99 to one. I wanna take 99% of the funds and live off 1% if, mm -hmm. if, if it's possible because I'm a big believer in that long-term strategy I read I've read a, a lot of Bezos, just just a lot of just different autobiographies, books, and different things. I, I think he did a Bezos's letters, and uh, he had this twenty-year strategy of like I will take a loss just to beat my competition. So growing up so broke, like I don't really like care. I like nice things. I eat out three, four times a week, but I love winning, and I will do whatever it takes morally and to destroy competition. Not even like. Like, like type of like a Jordan mode. Like I'll make stuff up in my mind just, just to go out and just like beat the competition. And for me, the competition isn't the life insurance industry. I'm a man, so I analyze, I, I just look at the, I just like to look at Forbes, you know what I mean? Who's, who's the top dogs on here? Mm -hmm. And how do I get there better, faster, quicker, and stronger? And Chicago's a billion dollar life insurance opportunity because basically every leader here generates about $100,000 of annual revenue. So all I need is 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. And Chicago has a the metropolitan area, it's 10 million. So if you give me point, I, I have it calculated out, I believe it's 0.001% of Chicago to come sell insurance, build up $100,000 of revenue on an annual basis. They'll, they'll, it's way better than any other opportunity on average. Because you go out there on average and, and you're making 50 grand a year, whereas you can come make 50 grand a year selling insurance but build passive income. So it's technically not 50 grand a year. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you take into consideration of building passive income off of each policy that you sell, um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to revolutionize the Midwest. I think that's everybody's goal that stays in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like I see Landon always posts like, it's time to change Chicago, change the Midwest, and bring all this money to the to the Midwest. So, yeah, I really want to get to a billion by by 30, and bringing in a billion is going to guarantee we make a hundred millionaires just out of this cheesy little, you know, what I call uh, the McDonald's of insurance. You know, Very just cool. slinging, slinging variations of whole life and term life. You know, so that's kind of that's kind of my vision, man, and I'm I'm so passionate about it. I I'd die for it. So, what do you have to say about? I heard this quote, and it's like the magic that you're seeking. Yeah, this is in the, the work. work that you're avoiding. Yes. What What was the work that you were avoiding? That once you started to do, you you started to feel that magic. Was it was for it me, finding the other reps? No, or was no, no. It, yeah. So for me, I was never really like a avoidance for me it was more of a lack of work what i call workplace intelligence because i don't feel like anybody's stupid i feel like people just are uneducated in in specific areas that they like you you have to get around the right people or you're avoiding the right information and so the information that i was missing in the very beginning was i was over educating when i was i spent three years selling the product i made half a million dollars that's why i'm i'm such a believer in insurance is i made half a million dollars from 19 to 21 just selling the product myself not building an insurance team of business where people are like oh you only make money off the backs of others. Not the case. There's multi, and you you probably know brokers that make millions of dollars and they don't, you don't deal with anybody. You just, you deal with your clients, you know? So I think it was, I was over-educating myself. I was just constantly on Google and reading life insurance books and sales books. So imagine me 18 years old, I come in and I sit down with you to pitch you a policy. And what should take 15 minutes, I spend an hour and 15 minutes because I want to tell you everything I've just learned. Right. So one, you're already going to judge me by my appearance. I'm 18. Two, if you're anything like me, any type of transaction, I want it to be done quick. I don't know if you're the same way, but like 
especially if I don't know you. Mm -hmm. And our business is a, the, the B2C is, it's a cold contact. It's not a cold call, but it's a cold contact. And what I mean by that is you're calling up a, the, the union members and that's that's our niche is we buy, I buy union leads and we have that exclusive. Pretty much nobody other, other insurance company has that. You're calling up Joe and you're wanting to build a half hour of rapport with Joe Schmo who you don't know, right? He, you don't care. Like if, 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 if you really wanted to like sell me on investing, it's like, yeah, we have a, a general relationship, but like, dude, just tell me like, where am I going to make money? Like, you don't have to ask me my mom's name and like, that'll happen over time. But like, I think that was the biggest thing for me, man, is I was just, I was blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Just talking, talking, talking. And what in, what a lot of salespeople do is they talk them way, they'll talk themselves up with themselves. So that's exactly what happened to me. And then transition into building. I think the biggest thing that held me back there was, um, I think lack of just emotional intelligence is I just lacked patience for people. And so if I don't have patience with agents and individuals developing into leadership, how am I going to retain people? Cause it, you ever work for someone that's just not patient with you and like just a dick, you mm -hmm. know? So it's like, I had to grow out of that, that impatience and inconsideration of others. And I love John Maxwell. I spent a majority of the last six years just reading all his content. He's just a leadership author. And he always says, and I had my guys listen to it this morning. You have to connect with people before you direct with people. And he, and he goes even further and he says, before you ask for someone's hand, you have to ask for their heart. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I really had to start embodying that opposed to just like putting it on Instagram. Like everybody's an entrepreneur, but when, it's come, when it comes down to being an entrepreneur and caring for people and sacrificing, that's what entrepreneurship is. It's care and sacrifice. That's what leadership is. It's care and sacrifice. That's what success is. It's care and sacrifice. But we just come up with cool terms for it all. Um, and so once I got out of my own way, that, that was it for those two areas and sorry for the long answer, but no, I like it. you know, I, just to explain for the listener that's out there and you're selling right now and you feel like it's never going to be your turn to build and, 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 you know, grow into a leadership position or an ownership position, just keep focusing on what you're doing and, and just know you are in your own way right now. And it's not as complicated as you think. It's not a better close and, and you don't need a million people. Jesus took over, over the world with, with Christianity, with, with 12 disciples. So I think you find a couple good guys, a couple good girls, and you can you can build an empire. I like I like how you always say dial. Cause guilty. Even even as a CEO, dial. sometimes I still like to dial, but it's like, but I don't. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> but it's like but if I did. Yeah. Dials. Huge. Any other questions for me? That's it. Good to go. So you guys can find Rich on Instagram. It's just Richard Corral, right? Yeah. Rich Corral. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Richard Corral, LinkedIn. Anything else you want to shout out? LinkedIn, uh, just Advanced Advisor. We're designing the most advanced investment management platform out there. So right now there's a wait list. Check out the wait list for Advanced Advisor and that's it. And you have to be a qualified investor. Million dollars, show us. Actually, you don't. This <laughs> no, is uh, Advanced Advisor. Is, <laughs> advanced Advisor is, um, the goal is to give everyone access to those investments that the million dollar plus get access that. to. Yeah. I love that. So. Another episode of Adversity Kings, and we're gonna update you guys with some content and see if I survive this 100 hour fast because I feel like I'm gonna like pass out. So, peace. I'm gonna go hit the sauna and push it.